this day, 1989, so almost 30 years ago. We had gone to Lubbock to see my family for Christmas. Our oldest son was an infant, about six months old on Christmas that year. And we're driving back to Wichita Falls, I think probably trying to get back for Sunday. And uh, Idaloo is the first town east of Wichita Falls on Highway 6282. And I'm blowing through Idaloo and Jan says, you probably better slow down. You know, last Christmas day, there's nobody out here running radar. Oh, oh what a fool I am. <laughs> then I saw the red lights about, about the time I got that out of my mouth. And this guy stopped and I thought, nobody would write somebody a ticket on Christmas day. <laughs> In fact, that's sort of the philosophy with our city officers. They don't write paper on Christmas day or Christmas Eve either. I got paper. And uh, so that was a nice Christmas present to drive back to Wichita Falls. So I decided I'll take defensive driving. I signed up and being the good student that I am, I went to all the way to the back of the classroom. And a real friendly guy sitting next to me struck up a conversation. We had a really nice chat and he said, what do you do for a living? And I'm like, oh great. And obviously I'm guilty, I have to tell him what I do. So I told him and he said, oh, I'm the missions director for the Wichita Clay Archer County Baptist Association. Well, we're both guilty. I said, aren't you thankful for grace? Uh, in defensive driving. <laughs> and he said, I've been a long time law enforcement chaplain in Albuquerque. I've just moved here and we're in the process of starting a chaplaincy program for the police department of Wichita Falls. And so I was recruited as a result of getting a ticket. That's how be I became a law enforcement chaplain. <clears throat> I was 27 years old at the time. I was the youngest in the chaplain corps. They put me on the board because they wanted a representative from the Church of Christ. And, and I said, why would you want to choose me? I'm the youngest pup in the whole city among all of the Church of Christ congregations. And they said, we're going to make you our training coordinator because I was a part-time instructor at Midwestern State. And so I thought, I don't know anything. They said, yeah, but you're a teacher, so you'll be a great training instructor or training coordinator. Well, that's really smart. So let me talk a little bit about what law enforcement chaplains do. We are not jail chaplains. Uh, prison ministry or jail ministry is a meaningful, important ministry. What we do is a two-edged sword. First of all, we provide chaplaincy services, ministry services to people who are in crisis and the police are involved. So this is a good way to describe it. If something horrible can happen to a human being and law enforcement is involved, chances are they have called us. Okay, so let me kind of give you scenarios. Uh, if we have a fatality car crash here, uh, Steve Quinn at Lakeside Baptist and I serve the Grand Rio Police Department on a volunteer basis. Uh, Doug Pruitt serves Pitt County Sheriff's Office. I serve the Texas Department of Public Safety by myself. So I've, I've served here in Grand Rio since 2004. So I'm uh, just started my 16th year and served in Wichita Falls. Uh, started in uh, late 1989 and then uh, also got an opportunity to serve in Oklahoma and started the chaplaincy program there uh, for a period of time. So just in terms of um, the last 29 years, what I've done now for, for 29 years, um, if we have a fatality crash, somebody has to go tell that family. Now, prior to having chaplains, the officers went and did that by themselves. Um, they would rather take a beating than do that by themselves. Right. For, for one thing, if they go alone, they've got to go to the next call. Uh, it's busy, they've got calls holding, they're going to call, they're calling, call. So you can't wait and really serve somebody. We go together. My training is to know how to do a death notification properly. As I've had many cops tell me, uh, I don't know how to do that. I'm not trained to do that. I'm trained to be a police officer. I'm not trained to, to do ministry in the way that you do ministry. So we do that 
paired up. Uh, they they um, are great partners. I always tell my young officers that have never gone with me before, I do the talking, you're there for my security. And they, without a doubt, they always say, I'm good with that. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you've uh, every possible scenario on a death notification, Wichita Falls years ago, there was a man that was a retired teacher. His wife was a retired teacher as well. He was killed in a collision. We went about 9 o'clock one evening with a rookie officer that had never done a notification before. And we notified his wife, and I said, of course, one of the, in our protocol, first thing you ask is, who can we call for you? Your family, your pastor, neighbors, who can we call for you? And she handed me a Sunday school list. She and her husband went to Colonial Baptist Church there in Wichita Falls. She handed me the Sunday school list. You can call anybody on this list. And I was there taking care of her, and I handed the rookie the list. I said, get busy. Start calling. And in about 10 minutes, her Sunday school class converged on her. It was, I think that's probably one of the most meaningful expressions of Christian behavior I've seen in my adult life ever. And I remember telling the young rookie when I left, I said, that's rare. You're not, you're, you're rarely going to see that. But I said, I hope you took good note of what happened tonight because that's really meaningful. Uh, we saw the presence of Christ tonight and I said, uh, we're, we are, we have both been blessed. So that's one aspect of what we do. And unfortunately it's not an uncommon thing where someone dies out of town and it's in an unattended, unexpected type death and they're next of kin here. They're going to call the whichever law enforcement agency, whether it's the Hood County Sheriff's Office, DPS, or the city, and then we go and accompany that officer, that trooper, to make that notification. Okay. The second call, unfortunately, which is way too common, are suicide calls, uh, where there's actually been a completed suicide. So our response, the investigator's responsibility is they're there to do an investigation. Our responsibility is to take care of the family. Uh, I remember going on one probably 10 years ago here in Hood County, and it was a, a young woman who had taken her life, and she had a younger sister who was 15 or 16, and uh, I got, I made scene, the investigator immediately walked toward me and said, look, he said, I'm going to trust you, this 15-year-old, I'm going to tell you right now, she's not cooperating with us. I said, oh, yeah, thank you. I'm glad <laughs> to hear that. Um, then I, I walked up to this girl, and and, you know, we obviously can't be back in the home. It's a crime scene. It's cold outside. So you got to figure out where to do ministry. And the, the tailgate of my pickup was my office that night. And I always carry extra jackets and extra blankets in my truck. And I gave her a blanket. I said, step into my office. And then she kind of looked at me. It's starting to get dark. And she said, um, you're Daniel's dad. That's my middle son. I said, yeah. I said, how'd you know? You look just like him. <laughs> and I broke the ice. She was completely cooperative for me. And course obviously she was overwhelmed by the circumstances but that's a second very common call uh, for a law enforcement chaplain as far as I think what that death notification suicides homicides of which we've had several um, you may recall when the two women were killed in the parking lot at Miyako's in 2008 I helped with the notifications on those on that call um, one of the victims mother called me the next day on Sunday and because we had gotten acquainted and she said, um, any possibility we could use your church for her service? I said, yeah, we could do that. And she said, what do you charge for that? We don't do that. We don't charge people for such things. Right. We don't do that. Right. And so um, then she, she broke down and cried. And she said, I have nobody to do this service. What do you charge? And uh, I'm like, you know, 
don't do that. You know, we serve people. My favorite part of that story, I, I said, yeah, we'll do it, you know, and the ladies will do a meal for you. And I got to thinking, I haven't talked to the ladies about that. <laughs> and we had an, an elderly lady here at the time who's in charge of funeral meals. Her name is Mel, but we call her the general. We still call her the general. She's a four foot 11 general. So I went to the general. I said, uh, Melba, I, I kind of need to get forgiveness instead of permission. And this is what I did. And she stopped me mid-sentence. She said, I got something to tell you. I thought, oh, here we go. And I'm in hot water. She said, you don't ever come ask. You know whoever it is that will do that for them, and you don't come ask. Do I make myself clear? <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma <laughs> Uh, you know, there's not many people I'm afraid of, but I am afraid of those. Uh, so I'm still there to this day, you know. She thinks she's my mother. So, uh, so you know, we were able to, you know, sometimes your ministry to that family is only in the process of a notification or in the process of a crime scene. But sometimes that ministry extends well beyond that. I've had several instances where I left my car. And I said, I put my cell phone on the back, feel free to call me, I'd be more than willing to do some follow-up. You know, I've had several instances where somebody will call a year later yeah. and call and say, hey, you came out to my house, my son was killed, I talked to you that night, and then I have to, of course, refresh my memory real fast, can I come talk to you? So the potential for follow-up is, is really good. So, yes, ma'am? Why? Why the delay? Why the year delay? Um, I think people are, in an unexpected, traumatic, or in sometimes criminal death, they are in such complete and total meltdown levels shock. You hand them your card, and you might as well be Charlie Brown's teacher speaking to them because they don't have the emotional and mental ability to process anything at that point. And so I think for some people, a full year goes by before it really settles in what's happened and before they're even able to have that conversation. Uh, I've had two like that. I had one with a young man who committed suicide, talked to his father. I, these are both men, fathers. Another one was a crash where his, uh, a young son had been killed, and, and the father contacted me uh, a year later. Um, you know, we deal with really nice people. We deal with people. I tell people I have been called everything you can be called, and then a few you've never heard before. <laughs> everything. Over 30 years, I've been called more than once. Uh, one of the worst cussings I got. I mean, this guy, it was one of the, one of the it was a pretty good one. Uh, out on a, a crash scene one morning, this guy let me have it. And before it was all said and done, I ended up officiating at his wife's service. And uh, we've actually become friends. I don't even think he remembers. I'm kind of holding that over him. I'll tell him Sunday. You know, yeah. you know, so I've never even told him. And I have no intention uh, really of doing that. So the third thing that we would do is um, benevolent type situation where an officer encounters someone who's really in some kind of desperate situation. And if an officer calls you and wants you to put somebody up for the night or help them with a meal, they've been fully fed. You don't have to wonder if that's a legitimate need. <coughs> These guys are so cautious, so running people's criminal history, checking them from every possible angle. If they call me at 2 o'clock in the morning because somebody needs to be put up, I jump because I think this is legit. I better go. Uh, and that doesn't happen real often, uh, but it does. I remember taking a man that was homeless. An officer encountered him on 377 because a citizen called to complain about him because he looked suspicious. And the officer called me. This is in the middle of the morning. It's like 9 o'clock in the morning. He said, I just think the guy's hungry. Is there anything we can do? And I said, well, I said, I'm not far from there. I'll just come by. 
and uh, see what we can do. And I, I picked him up and I took him to the firehouse to eat breakfast. Guys, he, he was homeless. He was in a bad situation. He was incredibly intelligent. I had a hard time keeping up with him intellectually, having a conversation with him. I mean, he was very interesting. I mean, it was a very, he ate like you can't imagine. And um, lady that owns the firehouse was a dear friend, uh, wouldn't let me pay her that morning. Know, because she saw what we were doing. The last story I'll tell, there's a, I got called to Walmart one Saturday because there were two brothers. One was an amputee, double amputee, elderly gentleman, had to work for food sign or something along those lines. Well, Walmart corporate policy, that's a no-no. You can't do that. So we had a, a lady as an officer at the time. She has since uh, moved to Erath County, works for CPS now. She got over there and she said, she didn't know what to do. I mean, she felt sorry for him. So she called me, she said, is there anything you can do? And I said, oh, I'm sure there is, I'll, I'll come over. And I was here at the office, it didn't take me but just a minute. So I chatted with these guys for a minute. I said, we're, I said really, we don't have um, a shelter here, so to speak, at that time. And um, there's not a lot, we, uh, the best thing I can do is get you to Fort Worth, which is not the best solution, but it's all I knew to do at the time. I said, would it be helpful to you if I bought you a tank of gas and we went over to Wendy's and got you some lunch, would that be helpful? And sure, they were very gracious. They were really nice men. They were just desperate. And I said, okay, we'll do that. And I went back and I talked to the officer. I said, here's what I'm gonna do. And she just gave me this dirty look. I'm like, all right, Brandy, out with it. Um, you know, what have I done? Well, we can't just send them with nothing. And I said, well, what do you have in mind? And she said, well, we ought to go to Walmart and get them some bottled water and some non-perishable food they can take with them. I said, well, let's go do it. So she's obviously in uniform. And I walk in there with her. We're going up and down the aisles of Walmart, and people are giving us the evil eye. You know, all the citizens. You know what they're thinking? We're a couple in there buying our groceries uh, on city time. And I told, I said, Frank, I think we're a couple in here buying our groceries on city time. I won't repeat what her response was. Uh, but uh, <laughs> what she told me is she didn't really care. Uh, so we go to check out, and I said, Randy, let me pay for this. I got the church credit card. The church is cool with that. They'll let me pay for that. And she said, put that up. This is on me. Now, that kind of thing happens with officers all the time, and I know you're seeing a lot of really negative press in the media. That is an everyday occurrence, not just here in Granbury, but it's everywhere. I've seen our guys do that over and over and over out of their own pocket repeatedly. And I've also been threatened with every inch of my life if I ever tell on them when they do something like that. That they're going to find my body somewhere. So uh, you know that's they're they're just such great servants. Which leads me to the second part of chaplaincy is our our the second part of the two-edged sword is providing pastoral care for law enforcement officers, EMS personnel, and firefighters. It's a hard job. They see more human suffering in one shift than a lot of people do in a lifetime. Uh, I always know if I need an attitude adjustment, I'd go do I go right out of shift with them. And my attitude is usually adjusted because I think, okay, I'm good. I don't have any problems. And, and it's not necessarily the dramatic, you know, dramatic felony type events. It's the grind of, of people, their suffering, poverty, people out who are just uh, alcoholics controlling their life. And they do things they shouldn't do. It's, you know, all, everything kid calls where there's a child involved and you got to get CPS in the mix. It's super stressful. Um, these guys have hearts. Now some of them want you to think they don't. Okay, I, 
I was with an unnamed city officer, uh, went to do a death notification, and this family, we had to tell an 11-year-old girl or her 9-year-old brother had been killed in a crash. And most of the time, parents want to do that to themselves. I always say, I'll do it or you can do it. That needs to be your call as parents. And in this case, the parents wanted me to do it. I said, okay. So the officer who was with me went in there, and uh, I sat down, held that little girl's hand, and told her it was very difficult for me. I've done this for 30 years, and that one was still hard. And uh, I just happened to kind of glance to my left, and this particular officer who wants you to think he's a hardened case, you know, he had elephant tears as I'm sitting here talking to this little girl. And I thought, oh, I'm thinking to myself, he does have a heart. I just, just wasn't aware of it. Uh, but, but then it occurred to me, he has a little girl at home that's about this kid's age. Okay, you don't go home after the shift and just say, oh, it was a great day at the office. You know, that's stressful. Uh, they, what they see, what they experience, and public perception, even in good old Granbury. Uh, public perception. Uh, I'll mention one last thing to let y'all ask questions. Five years ago, almost about this time, August, five years ago, we have a ladies group here at church that meets on Wednesday morning. There's about 50 of them. Most of them are retired. And they came to me and said, what can we do to enhance your chaplaincy efforts? And I said, well, I said, here's a challenge. for On the police side especially, it's a challenge to eat out anywhere. Here's why go into a fast food place to eat and you look around and all the employees there are people you've arrested not once but several times nobody wants to eat the police special for lunch okay I'll let you use your imagination what the police special is okay they don't want their food doctored up secondly if they do go into a, a restaurant or a fast food place John Q citizen walks in walks by and says oh there's my tax dollars at work what they don't realize is they may get their Chick-fil-A sandwich, and if a major accident goes out, they're going to have to drop their sandwich and run out the door and take that major accident. If they can't say, they can't tell dispatch, hold that. I'm eating my waffle fries. I'll get there in 10 minutes. You know, that, that you know, doesn't work that way. Um, or there are security issues, even in Granbury. You're sitting in there and you're watching the door constantly because you don't know who could potentially harm you. So I told the ladies, I said, you know, y'all could do a meal for these guys occasionally. A little home cooking would be a nice gesture, and they could come to a safe place. They said, okay, we'll get back to you. And I came back the next Wednesday, and they said, we're going to do it on Tuesdays. I said, what Tuesday? I need a date. They said, no, you understand. We're going to do it every Tuesday. So for five years, we've, uh, we have the first responder lunch next door to our service center. We feed about 70 police, fire, DPS, constables, EMS, um, everybody. JPs, uh, and they do a home-cooked meal for them, and they know it's safe, and they know their food's not been doctored up. Wow. We have one lady that makes banana pudding every week, yeah. and we have a couple of officers who have ingratiated themselves to some of the ladies, will text the ladies and say, I'm going to be late today, would you put some banana pudding up for me? <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, the, the fellowship, the camaraderie for everybody to... Um, from the various agencies to be together in a context that's not stressful. It's nice to be sitting at lunch and not be out of a drowning scene like we were Friday. Uh, so that that's that's a very, very quick summary of what we do. Um, while the pastoral care is riding out, the officer just spending time with them. Supervisor may request, hey, would you go, I don't know, officer so-and-so, this is going on. Would you reach out to them because this is going on? 
and um, it's a very different culture. Um, it's a culture characterized by caution. They're hard to get to know, but once you do get to know them, they're they're a, a unique group. They're very loyal, I, and, and I'll, I'm just going to speak on behalf. I work primarily with the city. We have the best of the best. We are extremely fortunate. Chief Galvan is very particular about who he hires. There's been people that asked me to serve on oral boards. There's been people I would have hired that he said no. Uh, he knows more than I do. Uh, so we have an outstanding team. We're fortunate to have Chief Galvan in the position he's in. We're fortunate to have Sheriff Deeds in the position that he's in. So we're very fortunate to have people who are honest and credible people of integrity. That has not always been the case since I've lived here. Um, so. I can speak from 30 years. I've worked under police supervisors who lacked integrity, and working here with Deputy Chief Andrews and Chief Galvan, they are both just over the top men of unquestioned uh, integrity. So, what questions can I answer? How did you? Is, is there a license involved or training or how, how well, all, all of us have gone through international <coughs> conference of police chaplains provide certification for law enforcement training and i've served as an instructor for them for a long time and so they have eight courses for basic certification and we're very open to adding to our core right now because as the city grows and as the county grows we're going to need help doug and steve and i right now are really stretched the last week between the two of us the last seven to ten days we had six call outs a drowning and uh, several what are called dos is somebody who's deceased on scene some unattended deaths we were right in the middle of the drowning i got called to a dos at the er so uh doug i mean uh steve stayed here at the drowning scene i went to the er and came back so all of us have full-time you know ministries so we're uh we're in recruiting mode if you speak Spanish, it's even as a bonus. <laughs> I know this is not local, but in the news, they've talked, talked about the suicides of police officers in New York. Yes. What is what is the correlation between there and here? That's a really good question. New York has had nine police suicides in 2019, seven since June. Uh, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. I'll, I'll give you what I think are the top two. Public for the negative public perception. Of course, in New York, it's not. It's 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 really bad. In the large cities, it's bad. Secondly, there are city leaders. Not true here. Dallas is a good example. I'm just going to pick on Dallas. In Dallas, I'm quoting a trooper who used to work for Dallas PD. He said they won't let the police be the police. Okay, so that's why there's DPS troopers working in Dallas. It's not very popular because they're arresting people and taking guns away and arresting people on warrants and things like that. They're actually doing law enforcement activities. So the lack of support from their own people, in other words, the city, your, your city manager, your city council should be supported. And they are here, without a doubt. We have our mayor and two, two of our city council, they're, they're in, they're, their support's unquestioned. That's not true everywhere. Um, and just the, the the job is so, so much more difficult. And I think another factor is you're dealing with people that the mental health calls are up so much. So you're dealing with so many more people who aren't stable themselves. <coughs> um, I saw in one city in the Midwest that their mental health calls for juveniles was up 400%. Wow. 
scary now that's true here I mean we you know all the mental health stuff is so the officers are taxed more and having done it for 30 years I see the difference they're taxed in ways they've never been taxed before uh, and you know you're putting when I started I was the youngest in the chaplain corps now the ones are hiring are younger than my youngest son so man they're, they're babies they're young guys young young, young women so, are you on call at certain times, like yeah, on call Yes, Steve shifts? and Doug and I take turns. In theory, if I'm in town, I'm, Doug and I take turns being first call. Not Doug, Steve and I take turns being first call for the city. <clears throat> That's the way it's supposed to be. But because we're close to some of the officers, the, sometimes the officers don't go through dispatch, they call my cell phone direct. Or they'll call <laughs> Steve direct, uh, because they know us. Um, Doug covers the county pretty much by himself, and so we're just there to help him when he's not available. And that's tough because his call load is unreal. Uh, so Steve and I try to jump in there and help him a lot. What we're, our intent is we're working towards going where one person could be first call for a week. And then you're on your first call, second call, third call. Uh, but we have weeks where all three of us are gone, and we just have to let dispatch know there's nobody available. It's a, it's, you know, I wouldn't do anything else. And uh, let me tell you a little of my heart behind it. When my dad passed away when I was 15 years old, my parents had no hint of church ties at all, none. And so here we're in an ICU waiting room in Lubbock by ourselves. There's nobody. And so when I got in ministry, my initial inclination was to be a hospital chaplain. And then y'all are going to laugh when I tell you what I did when I was going to seminary. I drove a record. Uh, it worked in an auto repair shop. And people would come and get their loved ones' belongings at our yard after a fatality crash. And I remember thinking, oh, there's got to be some way to minister to these people. Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> <laughs> and so when that opportunity came up in Wichita Falls, when Gene told me in defensive driving that night, I thought that that's my calling. That's what I'm supposed to do. Wow. And so my philosophy in Granbury is on my watch, if somebody's had a traumatic event, they're not going to be alone on my watch. That is not going to happen. I will be there and I will treat them exactly like I would want my family to be treated. I don't care who they are or what they call me. Uh, I'm going to treat them the way they should be treated because they're experiencing a traumatic or criminal event. And I feel passionate about it. And I, I love what I do. I wouldn't do anything else. Uh, it, it's my true niche and the church here has been incredibly supportive of me and, and, and I know Steve at Lakeside they've, Lakeside's been really supportive of him Brett, do you have a question, sir? Uh, the certification process how long does that take? ICPC has a regional training, there's about five states in the region, so sometimes it's as close as Lubbock, I actually hosted it here in 2011 at the conference center mm -hmm. uh, so in a week, you can go get your certification and ICPC training in a week. And I, it's in the spring, it's usually March or late March, early April. Um, so we need to host it again here. It's really a great experience. I had 100 chaplains here from five states. And um, our, our officers and troopers were very accommodating. I, I did lined up ride outs for all of them. Um, um, and I had, I enjoyed some of my, uh, 
more colorful officers, I really enjoy thinking about who I've got to put with them. Uh, <laughs> I'll end on a humorous note. Uh, when I first started with the city, uh, I started right after Chief Galvan took over, and uh, I went in to talk to Mitch about doing some chaplaincy stuff, and I walked in his office and he said, I know why you're here, and the answer is yes. <laughs> and he said, but I've got one rule. I said, yes, sir. He said, the spiritual needs of my officers comes first. I want my own people well taken care of. I said, you think like that, we're going to get along great, which has been the case. Yeah. And uh, so he introduced me to Cliff Andrews, who was the patrol lieutenant at the time. He's a deputy chief now. And uh, Cliff was a young supervisor. He's probably one of the best supervisors I've ever worked under, hands down. And he said, hey, I want you to come right out. Come out like on a Friday night after work. This is when they had the traditional eight-hour shifts. They work 12-hour shifts now. Come at 3 o'clock, and uh, I'll set you up with somebody. I said, okay. So I went down one Friday afternoon. I said, sir, I'm here. I'm going to ride out tonight. He got this big grin. <laughs> he said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to make this fair. We're going to walk down to the squad room, and the first officer I lay eyes on, that's who going, you're going with. He said, does that sound fair to you? I said, oh, yeah, sounds great. We walked down there. Randy Dees, she's not with us anymore. She's the same officer I dealt with at Walmart. Uh, she was sitting there in the squad room working on a report all by herself. Then he turned around, and he got a grin that's even bigger. It was an evil grin. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. He's up to something. And he said, Brandy, I want you to meet our new chaplain. Oh, she was very pleasant. And he's going to ride your ship with you tonight. Oh, fine. No, she was very nice. That's pleasant. Okay, yeah, yeah, come go with me. We went out at 3 o'clock, and we made a couple of calls. And then she pulled in a Dollar General, and she slammed on the brakes of that patrol car, and she threw it up in park, and she looked at me, and she said, all right, out with it. What have I done? <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? And she said, they assigned you to me. Obviously, I've done something. I want to know what it is. <laughs> and I said, you've only done one thing. You were in the wrong place. Hey, the wrong wrong time. <laughs> you got stuck with me. And she started laughing, and she said, I've never worked with a chaplain. I have no clue what a chaplain does. So I started going through the whole list, what we do. And she said, stop, stop now. And she said, I'm going to put your phone number and my cell phone number, and I will use you, and I will call you. And that was the beginning of a great friendship. And uh, so uh, she's, she wasn't his character, and they all are. Um, you know, when you first start out, they're a little hesitant about the preacher riding with them. Right. I always tell them on the first ride out, oh, I'm so excited about tonight, I'm going to do a dry run of my Sunday morning sermon. <laughs> and they think I'm serious because I don't smile. You know, I tell them, I don't smile. And so they're always hesitant. Now I go down there, I've been around long enough, they'll fight over who's going to take you. Uh, because they enjoy the company. And they also know when we're there, there's a lot of things we can do on calls <clears throat> that bring peace. Right. If we do it right, we can bring peace. So thank you so much for yeah. letting me share. Yeah. I hate Doug couldn't be here. Uh, Y'all are stuck with me. Doug, Doug's, uh, we really appreciate what he does at the county. And Doug also is the sponsor for the Law Enforcement Explorer program at the Sheriff's Office. And that's a real asset as well. 